Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, providing knowledge that is moving medicine forward. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me is Dr. Ashley Wright. She's an obstetrician gynecologist and an associate professor at UAB Medicine, and she's here to highlight gynecologic care at UAB. Dr. Wright, it's a pleasure to have you join us today, and as we're talking about what's involved in routine gynecologic care, tell us about the training you need to be in your field. Are more women entering this field? How do you feel the field is advancing right now? Great. Thanks for having me. In general, so when you think of a general OBGYN, that requires the typical four years of college, four years of med school, and then four years of general OBGYN residency. There are several different subspecialties of OBGYN that require additional fellowship, such as high-risk OB or GYN oncology, that requires usually three extra years of fellowship. But just for general OBGYN, it's a four-year residency. As of recently, well, probably really over the past 20 years, over 80% of OBGYN residents are actually females. And so since we're taking care of women, I think that's kind of great for many different reasons. But I think in general, it's a good thing because we're taking care of other women. And so not that having a male OBGYN is a bad thing, but I think we can just have great communication and really be able to be in more intimate scenarios with women, which I think ultimately makes them more comfortable as well. I agree with you, and there's nothing wrong. Men have been in that field for years, but I agree. I think that it is wonderful that women are now really going into these fields that were male-dominated and really being able to help women one-on-one. Such an important point. Are there age ranges where women's health care may be different. What are some of the highlights of care during the years? And you can even start and give us a brief overview of the teen years as they start to see the gynecologist for the very first time and then all the way up through where I am somewhere in the menopausal years. Yes, yeah, so a great question. Specifically, I do get this question a lot is when should my daughter or when should my friend or whatever the age may be, when should they start coming to the gynecologist? whether it's a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old, when should this really start? And in regards to adolescents specifically, one thing that has changed over the past couple of years, which I know we'll get to a little bit later, but when do women really need to start getting pap smear screening? And that's really at age 21. And so prior to that, with adolescents, we are concerned about vaccinations, STI screening, if they are sexually active, and certainly contraception as well, because they are sexually active, we don't want them to have an undesired or unplanned pregnancy because that can be much more difficult to manage. We can also start at that age to approach family history because that's becoming more and more important, particularly when it comes to breast cancer screening, ovarian cancer screening, and I think that's just going to become more and more important through the years. Through the reproductive years, of course, we want to be talking about contraception and when they desire pregnancy and help optimize their risk factors potentially for making a pregnancy more high risk. Additionally, we want to do cervical cancer screening. And something that also has changed recently is the age of colonoscopies is actually now dropped to age 45. And all individuals, just because the risk of colon cancer is not necessarily increasing, but the rates of colon cancer have started increasing more. So those recommendations have changed over the past couple of years. And then when you get to be menopausal, we want to talk about mammograms and bone density screening. And then, of course, continuing colonoscopy screening and cervical cancer screening if that's indicated. Well, that was a comprehensive list. Thank you so much. Very well done. In regards to gynecologic care, one of the things I find most interesting about your field, Dr. Wright, 
is how do you guys know? How are you so smart that you know and you can figure things out? Because so many of our symptoms that women have, whether it's irregular periods or heavy bleeding or (laughs) the most common things, bloating, and all of those things that go along with women as we grow are so nonspecific. And we come to you and we say, this is what's going on. And then you take it from there and try and figure out whether it's fibroids or ovarian cysts or whatever it is. Tell us a little bit about what we're supposed to do. What are some of those symptoms that you feel are most important if a woman is talking to her primary care provider or coming to her gynecologist? Certainly one of the big things that makes us always concerned for multiple reasons, but particularly when it comes to menstrual health, would be abnormal bleeding. And it's a lot of times hard to know if your bleeding is abnormal because certainly when an adolescent or young woman starts her period, it is going to be irregular for a couple of years. And that's normal. That's physiologic for that even to happen for two years. But if you don't know, it's always better to ask and ask lots of questions and then come in for regular screening whether that's every year, which is most of the time what we recommend for your pelvic exam and your cervical cytology screening or pap smears, as well as STI testing. But you're right that sometimes bloating can be a very nonspecific symptom. And unfortunately, there can be a lot of causes of that. And so I always use the mantra of, well, if you don't know, just ask. And so that's the nice thing about our field is that when you take care of a woman through her pregnancy or through multiple pregnancies, a lot of times they can just say, hey, this wasn't going on before the pregnancy. What's this about? And a lot of times that helps us because we've taken care of them for so long just to have that relationship. Well, you are really like detectives in so many ways, and women's bodies are so complicated. You mentioned cervical cytology recommendations. Let's speak about that, Dr. Wright, because due to HPV tests and what we've learned about the links to cervical cancer, some of those have changed, and there's been some controversy between those and mammograms. I'd like you to speak to cervical cancer and what you're looking for and what you want women and their providers to know. Sure, absolutely. So really, it was 2011-2012 that major changes to the cervical cytology recommendations happened. The first of which I mentioned before, but no pap smears are indicated or needed prior to the age of 21, period. It used to be that women, for example, or adolescents would have to have a pap smear, let's say, at the health department when she was trying to get birth control pills, and that is not the case any longer. It's just not necessary. From ages 21 to 29, it's recommended to do cytology alone every three years. And then beyond that, from ages 30 to 65, you have a couple of options. You can do both cytology and HPV testing every five years or cytology alone every three years. There's some other studies that have shown we don't necessarily do this here for insurance reasons, but you can also do primary HPV screening alone because it's HPV that's active that can cause cervical cancer and that can cause cervical precancers as well. And so that's what we really want to pick up on. The other thing that's important with this that I still have patients referred all the time is that after a total hysterectomy, which includes removal of the cervix, their pap smears are not indicated any longer as long as the hysterectomy was not done for CIN3 and was done for benign reasons. And so it is not necessary to do a pap smear after a hysterectomy, which takes a lot of women by surprise because a lot of times they've been coming every year for exams and then all of a sudden you tell them, wait, you don't need a pap smear anymore. And so there's a lot of education that I know personally I've done and I know our group has done through the years just educating women about what that means. That's so interesting. And what great information. What about breast cancer screening? What's changed there? Yes. So 
a lot of the things that are interesting about breast cancer screening is family history. And so that has changed dramatically over the last 10 to 20 years because of the rise of genetic testing and the more availability there is now. And so family history is essential when you're trying to determine not only when to start breast cancer screening, but also how early. So there's different bodies throughout, scientific bodies throughout the United States that make recommendations on breast cancer screening. And that's where the controversy is because some say, well, no, you really don't need to do this at age 50. And some say, well, no, we really should do it 40. But this is what we really recommend now. And this is based on the Women's Preventative Service Initiative that includes ACOG, the American Academy of Family Physicians, American College of Physicians, nurse practitioners, and women's health. So multiple different bodies have come together to try to determine, okay, what should these recommendations really be? And it is. So you can start at age 40, but talk to a woman about this, depending on the family history, and that there is an increased risk of a false positive, which means that they'll be more likely to find something abnormal there, which can cause a great deal of anxiety, understandably. And so having that conversation at age 40, just so that she can be aware of what to expect Definitely start by age 50. Try to do at least biannually and as frequently as annually and continue through at least age 74. Now, again, family history here is essential. So let's say we have a patient with a family history of a BRCA mutation, then she needs to really be seen by a genetic counselor and possibly have genetic testing as well, in which case the just recommended breast cancer screening may be earlier for her, if not more comprehensive, such as breast MRIs. And then certainly there are some people, even without the BRCA mutation, that have an increased risk of breast cancer because of their family history. And so those are the patients that you really want to be able to identify earlier, maybe even earlier than age 40, which is why having that family history is so important. Certainly true. And as we get ready to wrap up and we learn more about gynecologic cancers, but survivorship is continuing to grow as well. Where do you see your field and the coordination of care between gynecologic oncologists, other healthcare providers, medical and radiation oncologists, the patient's own OB-GYN, the patient's own obstetrician gynecologist to allow for compliance with cancer follow-up care and routine health maintenance as you've been discussing here today? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's tricky depending on what specific area we're talking about. This is where knowing genetic testing and knowing family history is really essential because certainly at UAB we have through the gynecologic oncology department called the Lynn Cohen Clinic where we can send patients that may have an increased risk of family history of ovarian cancer and other GYN malignancies. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we may make that initial recommendations for them to be seen. Let's say it's somebody who wants to have children, and so obviously she doesn't want to have a hysterectomy yet. And so we may make that initial consultation to that clinic and then take care of the patient and survey that patient through the years and then maybe make a referral back when childbearing is complete. Sometimes, let's say a patient does have cancer and then she is cleared of cancer and then the patient comes back to see us just for routine care, whether it's pap smears annually, then we make those recommendations. Luckily for us, we have a pretty good working relationship with those groups and I think that's also important and essential just to be able to make sure that we are doing the appropriate management and follow-up. But OBGYN is a team sport for sure. It's a team specialty whether it's taking care of women in pregnancy or whether it's taking care of women maybe in menopause with an increased risk of different types of cancer. And so I think that communication amongst all providers is essential to make sure the patient gets the appropriate care that she needs. 
certainly is. And thank you so much, Dr. Wright, for highlighting gynecologic care at UAB and through the years for women. Thank you again for joining us. And a physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST, or you can always visit our website at uabmedicine.org slash physician. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For updates on the latest medical advancements, breakthroughs, and research, be sure to follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.